The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric France and Ajay Salveson. I just, I wait for like, I wait for it. And then... <laughs> Wait, wait for what? Yeah, you know what I'm going at. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on there, so I'm not going to, but you know what I'm waiting for. One time you're going to mess up and you're going to say it and we're all going to get fired. <laughs> uh, it's just, I'm sure, just moments away. Hey, so it's a matter of time. <laughs> a lot to get to today. NBA's finally getting into gear. We're going to get basketball back. End of July, it doesn't matter. We're still going to get basketball back in a really different format. Drew Brees, as you heard, under fire big time, and especially in his home state, home city. This guy was a hero. Might have just turned to zero really, really quickly with just a couple of comments. I mean, we talked about it yesterday after the air, Eric. You have to be so careful what you say now. You have to be so careful how you phrase things. You know, he might have meant something different, but because the context that it came out as. And the timing. It's not good. Yeah. You have to be so smart. And, man, I bet his PR guy's like, really, Drew? <laughs> Hello. Also, there's news uh, with Major League Baseball. Are they getting any closer to a resumption of of a season, or are they just getting farther and farther apart? So all those things that we'll get through. But before we get into that, really excited for uh, the first segment here to open up the show. Uh, We've had him on before. He's part of the uh, above-average former Aggie basketball players. Yeah. (laughs) Who we've spoken to over time. That's a different conversation for another different day with him. But, We're not done with that guy yet on no, that. No, Jimmy Moore joins us here in the studio. Jimmy, thanks for coming in and joining us. Thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, we had you down here not too long ago. You and uh, Jalen were down here, um, but uh, I know you're, you've been a friend of the program. You've been on with us a couple different times. Um, and uh, what, something really cool I, it came across my email. I have these different alerts that, that pop up. Certain words are used in press releases and whatnot. And uh, I got this one. I'm like, new book release. And I'm like, okay. We get all these all the time, you know, local authors, some you've never heard of, and the books are not worth looking at. But Like the romance novels you gave me from like Pick Six Wins? <laughs> I may or may not have given Ajay many different romance novels over the, over the years. But this one that came across just recently, like, hi, I, I know that name. This is really interesting. i got to find out more about this. So, Jimmy Moore, you've, you've authored a book. This is pretty cool. Uh, and for the, the book is titled Basketball and Some of Life's Technical Fouls. Yes. So, yeah. first of all, what prompted you to write a book? Well, you know, I started writing this book as a class project when I was doing my master's degree in education. And so we did it for a class project. And uh, a couple of weeks later, the, when, the, when the books were looked at, the paper were turned in and things like that, the professor had us to come up and talk about, it, you know, and kind of share it with the, uh, my peers in the class. And so as I went through it, everybody was kind of captivated about because they had no idea about my background, you know, and where I came from. And I kind of shared that with them. And I also talk about that in the book. And uh, it became a, it, it actually matured from a class project and to a book. So when I retired from Utah State uh, a couple of years ago, that was on my to-do list. One of my things to do once I retire was to finish this book. So I've, I've been writing on it for years, a little bit out of here, a little bit there. And so finally got a chance to finalize it, um, put it in publication. Uh, I submitted it to five uh, 
publishing company, all five of them accepted it. And so wow. I had a, a due date for the book was in March and then the pandemic hit. So that kind of put things back. And so just about two and a half, three weeks ago, I finally got it off the press. So I'm excited. About so this that. is fresh then. This it's is very fresh. Fresh off the, oh fresh off the press. <laughs> so, hey, uh, uh, in the book, you talk <clears throat> about your life as a basketball player in the 60s and growing up in the South, which had to be extremely difficult. I was complaining the other day about some of the challenges I go through in 2020, but in the 60s, I mean, tenfold of what you have to go through. What and When you became a, basketball, a great basketball player, the opportunities and the windows opened up for you, but did the way people treat you different or differentiate from before when you weren't a basketball player? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was definitely uh, a difference, you know, but I, I tried not to abuse that difference. I wanted to use it as a, as a teaching tool for me and for an opportunity to better, to make me a better person. But at the same time, I wanted to be able to, and I tried to help people to, to understand that, uh, Basketball is not who I am. It's just what I do, you know. And so that's more to me than Dan Benjet, just a basketball player. And so I, I try to, I definitely try to instill that into my boys as well as, you know, when I have my, my two sons, Grayson and Jalen, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely you can see the difference when people realize that you're a basketball player or an athlete versus just another um, citizen here in the Valley. And you've you've had a really fascinating story just over your life, and I want to get to one of your the stories about your recruiting in a moment. But playing basketball at Utah State, you were a tremendous athlete. You did a lot of great things, as you talked about being playing basketball. You had a career after Utah State, but then you came back. You were an educator. You were a coach. You've done things at administrative levels with Utah State. So you've had a really successful, really interesting career. Uh, that the kind of the world of basketball opened up to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've been so blessed with uh, the opportunity that was created to me through basketball. You know, as you said, I, I played at the highest level, came back and coached at Utah State for five years, assistant basketball coach. Then I got out of athletics for a period of time and went over and became the, uh, the director of admissions and scholarship for Utah State. An opportunity that I would always treasure because – it allowed me to give back to the university and it allowed me to give, let's say what we would say average student an opportunity to go to college. Um, I still meet a lot of people in the Valley. If I can share just a quick story with you guys. Oh, regarding sure, please. That. Yeah. I was in the supermarket one day and I was walking down the aisle, pushing my uh, shopping cart. And here on the other end of the aisle was this lady and her daughter that was probably about 10 years old. And the lady was just, kind of staring at me to the point where I'm like, I'm thinking, what are you, you know, <laughs> you know? And so I passed her, went on, continued to do my shopping. A couple of hours later, there she is again. And she's just staring at me, you know? And I'm like, what is going on here? And so as I taken my groceries out to put them in the car, she's right out just a few cars down from me, putting her groceries in the car. Finally, she came over to me. She goes, I got to ask you a question. I said, yes. She goes, are you Jimmy Moore? Huh? I said, yeah, I am. She said, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. She said, I was telling my daughter, it's because of you that I'm a teacher today. You gave me a chance to come to Utah State. Mm -hmm. I didn't have good grades, but you allowed me to come to Utah State under condition. You put a plan together for me 
I made it. I graduated. I'm now a teacher, and I can never thank you enough. So it was just so things like that, you know, that was just kind of my my star moment, you know. So that's all. That's amazing. Well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I remember being at a Rotary meeting. This was years ago, and you were invited to talk about a variety of different things. Um, but I remember one thing that just has always stood out to me was your story about being recruited. Uh, and when Coach Dell Brown came out, I mean, very well respected coach, and uh, and he saw something in you, and thank goodness he got you to come to Utah State. But uh, along the trail, uh, you guys were going to go out to dinner, and it wasn't happening quite like it should, and uh, he wasn't having any of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, let me just say about Coach Brown, we're still friends. I mean, we talk to each other. He used to email me probably once a month, and so we we stayed in touch. That guy, he spent so much time in Mississippi recruiting me during my senior year. I, I, I think if he could have moved in with us, he would have. You know, so, <laughs> so but a great guy, just a great guy. Yeah, we, we had an incident where um, I lived just about probably a couple of two or three hundred yards from my high school, and right across the street from my high school was kind of the local hangout for all of the high school kids. It was kind of like a little restaurant, cafe, you know, with arcade, you know, games and stuff like that. And it was definitely a hangout spot for all of the kids after, you know, sporting event, everybody would go there, except the black kids, Hmm. you know, because blacks were not allowed. They didn't serve blacks there, you know. And so it was weird because Coach Brown would, he would ask me, so what do you guys do? I mean, we would come out of the gym after everybody shower. We come out as a team, you know, we talk a little bit about the game and we part ways. The kids on the white, the white kids on the team would go across the street and hang out and we would just go home. Right. And so this particular time on this particular visit, uh, it was an in-home visit. And coach Brown is sitting there with me and my parents and we're talking and coach Brown can, that guy can sell. Let me tell you that. So he, he's he's talking about how great Utah State is, and my dad is sitting there trying to figure out where is this place, you know. And so we having this conversation, and so my mom gets up. And she goes, "Hey, while you guys are talking, I'm gonna make some dinner. You know, I'm gonna cook dinner." And so Coach Brown said, "No, Mrs. Moore, just sit down. Jimmy and I, we will go get some hamburgers. You don't have to cook. We'll go get hamburgers." Right away, in my mind, I'm thinking, "Oh wow, you know." Where, where, you know, because there's nowhere we can go. Now it's, it's in the evening, right? And I'm thinking there was one cafe right in the middle of town. They didn't serve blacks. You couldn't go in, but there was a room in the back. It was their supply room where they kept all of the goods, potatoes, onions, and stuff like that. They had a little table with two chairs. Blacks can go in there, sit in the back, order a burger, and sit there and eat it if they want to or take it and go, but you couldn't come in the front. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to take him there because at least we can go in the building, right? Can't go in the front, but I can take him in the back. But wow, we went there and the place was closed. So I'm like, I don't know, coach. I said, this is the only place I know. And he's, so we're driving back to my house and all of a sudden he looks across the street and he sees this little cafe hangout that all the kids hang out at and it's open. And I'm, and this place was like a hundred yards, two hundred yards from my house. We bypassed that to go to the other place that I took him to, because I knew we couldn't go into this place, right? And it was embarrassing. 
So on our drive back home, he see the cafe over there. And he said, let's go there. And before I could say, we're pulling into the parking lot. So Coach Brown gets out, you know, and walks around the front of the car, and I'm still sitting in the passenger seat. He gets to the door, and he looks back, and I'm still sitting in the passenger seat. And he says to me, he goes, Jimmy, let's go. We're going. Let's go. And I'm sitting there, and I said, Coach, come here. So he walks back to the car. He goes, what's wrong? I said, I can't go in there. He goes, what do you mean? I said, they don't, they don't serve blacks in there. He goes, you're kidding, right? I said, no. I said, see that little window right there, that little square window, sliding window? He goes, yeah. I said, that's what we order if we want a burger. We have to go to the window. He goes, you got to be kidding me, right? I said, no, I'm not. He goes, get out. We're going in tonight. We're going to go in here. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, here we are. I'm 17 years old, you know, and uh, we go into the cafe. And we walk in, the owner was flipping burgers, she, so she has her back to the door. We walk in, she turned around, she goes, just a moment. You know, she's flipping burgers, she turned around, she goes, hi, can I help? And she just stopped mid-sentence. She looked at Coach Brown, she said, can I help you? And then she looked at me and she <laughs> said, he know we don't serve his kind in here. Ooh. Needless to say, Coach Brown lost it, right? Right? And that experience that day, guys, I can tell you, it was a life changer for me. You know, it changed my life. You know, I, I, uh, it, it made me just, oh man, I've never felt so low, so small in my life. But I promised myself that day, I don't care what it takes, I would never make another human being feel like this. I never want anybody to have this experience that I have. And I, and I kind of talk about that in my book. And, and, and from that moment on, it's just been, man, it's been enriching for my life to, to still have that feeling and know what that feel like to help me to help other people and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was, that was a story that we shared today when you was at this little get-together we had. So. And that's in the book. I'm so glad you've it included it. It is a part of the book. It's a part of the book that I talked about. And it's funny because I sit with my boys and we talk about because I want them to know they, they've been to Mississippi with me to meet my family, you know, many times. And they always have questions, you know. But I wanted them to know that what you see now is not what it was. And, I'm, and, it, and it's come a long ways, you know. I mean, uh, and, and the weird thing about the whole experience then is that <laughs> and it's kind of almost what I see in all of the protests and stuff that's going on today. And that is the younger generation. You know, and because when I came, I came from a small community and everyone knew everybody. We knew, we knew the white kids knew us. We knew the white kids and that was never an issue, but it was just the other outside influence and the, and the older attitudes and stuff like that that really got in the way. And so, but yeah, so it's, it was, it was quite the experience. You sold 200 copies of the book right there in the story alone. My gosh. Um, I've got so many questions to ask you. We only have just so many, I mean, so little time to do it. Uh, Jalen was an incredible basketball player here in Cash Valley. But with that, I mean, can come at least trash talking, persecution, and whatever. Did he ever deal with with, uh, derogatory comments 
of his color of skin in the, in the Valley, if, if I were at least in high school basketball, did he deal with that kind of adversity? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Valley or just? Yeah, in the Valley. You're kidding me. Yeah. He had, I mean, I remember when he was in high school. I would never forget the, the very first experience I had. I've always talked to him about being different, but not using that difference as a weakness, you know, being proud of who you are, where you came from, and that kind of thing. And I remember uh, one time he came home, and I guess someone in one of his class had made a uh, racial remark towards him. His hair, you know, Jalen always had a, he's always yeah. had his hair. Famous, always, and like nationwide famous because of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's right. He's always, he, he's either had it braided or he had it in an afro or he had it in a <laughs> high top fade. He, he always had something going on with that hair. But someone made a, a, a racial uh, a remark to him in one of his classes. And he came home and it, it, it kind of rattled him a little bit. You know, we talked about it and, uh, I told him, you know, that you're going to always face those kind of things and how to deal with it and, and that kind of stuff. And so, but yeah, he was, he, yeah. But With Utah State, their, their basketball, football, and athletics, and President Noel Cockett and Mr. Hartwell all made uh-huh. a statement uh, from the protest. When you first got to Utah State, what was the treatment of you like when you got there? Man, I, I, would, I would be quite honest with you. I, was, to, I was totally shocked. Because my, my, my freshman year at Utah State, I was the only African-American on the team, right? But I tell you what, I couldn't have asked for better teammates. I mean, I had Rich Haas, Ray Thompson, Mark Tenhovey. All of us came in in that freshman class, right, and became really good friends. I mean, I, it was, it was, I was very uncomfortable because I had just came from an environment, a high school team where – we had 15 players on the team and 13 of them was black, you know? Uh, and so coming into just the opposite of what I was used to, I was a little bit uncomfortable to be quite honest with you. But I tell you what, the, the people in this Valley and my teammates, and I still stay in t- touch with Rich Haas and Ray Thompson and Mark Tenhovey and all those guys. We're, we're still a good friend to the day, but I never once went into a game or went into another uh, city to play a game feeling like they did not have my back, you know, and stuff. So, but I was just, uh, I was just, I was shocked at the time that, you know, to see the different, the culture shift, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, that, that was, that was quite an experience for me, but it, it, I fast, I quickly learned that there were some great people in this Valley and still are, you know, in this Valley today. So, yep. So the book is titled "Basketball and Some of Life's Technical Fouls." Uh, what it's as you've you've been kind enough to, to share a copy with us. It's not a big book, so it's an easy read, and there's some really interesting chapters in here. I mean, if people, it, it, or I guess I would say, if, if there's a couple of things you would hope that that people would get from reading this book, what are some of those those things that you would hope lessons maybe they could learn by reading your book? I think the, I think one of the things that I want them to walk away with, uh, take away from the book is that no matter what, what, well, I, let me back up. I guess one thing I want them to take away from it is the fact that to understand how strong my parents were. Hmm. My parents raised 12 kids, you know, and they did it with dignity. They did it with respect. They did it with love, you know, and so 
the main takeaway from that book is to put yourself in a situation where um, things are not equal. I talked about uh, separate but equal. I talked about that in the school system during that time, how the kids at the white school had the best school buses, the best textbooks, the best athletic equipment. We always had the hand-me-down. We had the buses that had windows that wouldn't go up, that you couldn't raise up in the wintertime, you know, and that kind of stuff. So those are the things I want to kind of take away from the book. But I guess the number one thing is my parents, how strong they were and how, you know, at that time to have 12 kids and to raise 12 kids and, you know, give us all an opportunity to go to college, you know. Not all of my brothers and sisters took that opportunity, but they all ended up doing things that they loved to do that they were passionate about. So, yep. And I think it's fascinating that you, as a parent, basically, by and large, have put this book together to share your story with your with your sons mm-hmm. and your family. Yep. But there's lessons that really everybody can learn right. from reading this. The book for me was a keepsake. When I when I finally decided I want to put it in a, in a book print, uh, my whole thing was to give as a keepsake for my boys. And then when the, when the publishing company did a review of it and read it, they go, hey, you might have something we can put into a book form here. So it kind of motivated me to, to follow through and, and put it in print. But uh, I, I wanted it for something that my boys can have to give to their kids and stuff like that. So, How can we find it? You got it. It's on uh, Amazon. You can find it on Amazon. It's also on Barnes & Nobles as well as I, uh, Apple iTunes books. <laughs> So uh, my plan is I, I want to have a book signing. So if anyone want to uh, stay tuned for that, I, I haven't set a date yet, but you know, with the pandemic and everything that kind of put everything back. But uh, my goal is to have a book signing sometime, some point in time. And so I, I look forward to that. Well, I want part two. Like we aren't done yet. Like this discussion is not even close <laughs> over. Right. You're coming back, Mr. Moore, with all due respect. I, I would love to. You're coming back. I would, that was I too much to. fun. I would love to. So. Well, it's a fascinating book. Uh, we really haven't had a chance to dive into all of it. We've touched on some of it. Uh, it's not a very long read, so it's easy no. easy to, to dive into and digest. Um, and some great life lessons. I, just from our experiences with you, Jimmy, we know that you've you've had a fascinating life story, and we're happy that you're sharing it with a lot of others to, to read that and consume that. Well, thank you. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here to talk with you guys and discuss the book a little bit, but uh, always looking for a visit. <laughs> Very good. All Coming right, back. Jimmy Moore. And the, once again, the book is titled Basketball and Some of Life's Technical Fouls. A lot of different places you can find it Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iTunes books, um, and uh, definitely worth the read. So thanks, thanks again for your time, and hopefully, we can catch up with you again before uh, the second book comes out. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, coming up next, here on the Full Court Press, uh, a couple of the things that are going on as we talked about. Uh, Drew Brees in some hot water today. Major League Baseball, are they any closer to resuming their season or getting a season started? And then uh, the NBA, some more details about how their resumption of play might look like. We'll talk about that next on the Full Court Press. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, thanks for tuning in and joining us here on a Wednesday. That was a lot of fun talking to Jimmy Moore. Yeah, he has been an institution 
in this area uh, from a player, assistant coach, an administrator, and then it started to uh, live on through the play of his sons and, and their roles that they played with uh, Skyview High School, certainly, and then at Utah State. Um, great family. Good to have them as part of our community. And I really appreciate him putting it all down in, in, in words so that people can uh, get a, a perspective of some of the things that he's gone through. Um, but uh, really interesting. I mean, the, the chapters are not long. It's only about 80 pages, so it's easy to digest, easy to get through. But talks about cultural challenges, talks about playing abroad, uh, music in his bones is one of the chapters. So it's a really fun conversation that we've always had when Jimmy comes down. So I uh, appreciate that. And again, if you'd like a copy, your own personal copy, you can find it on uh, Amazon Books, Barnes & Noble, and the Apple iBooks store. Uh, so that those are some of the different places you can find basketball and some of life's technical fouls. A uh, couple things going on in the news today. Um, one of the bigger uh, items that's certainly catching a lot of people by surprise is this, the, the timing. Uh, maybe not it, the sentiment itself, yes, but also the timing of it. If Drew Brees had said these things four or five years ago when Colin Kaepernick and some of the things that he was doing, uh, I think there would be still a large group of people that would side with Colin, excuse me, with Drew Brees and his comments and his sentiments. And I think there's still, I'm not to downplay that there isn't a large group of people that still agree or disagree with what he has to say, but the timing of what he said uh, recently just seems a little bit off. Um, and the New Orleans Saints quarterback, Drew Brees, uh, he shared kind of a message of unity on social media. But then he reiterated his own personal stance that, quote, he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America, close quote. It was an interview done with Yahoo Finance. And I understand what he's saying. Just the timeliness of it is just seems a little, a little off. He says, I love and respect my teammates, and I stand right there with them in regards to fighting for racial equality and justice. I also stand with my grandfathers who risked their lives for this country and countless other military men and women who did it on a daily basis. And so um, he's he's catching some, some hot water for that. Um, and he's uh, LeBron James, certainly a notable one uh, uh, among many others, um, saying that, and I think there's, I don't want to get political. I'm not trying to take one side or another, but it uh, certainly, it became a hot button issue with Colin Kaepernick choosing to kneel during the national anthem to draw attention to police brutality. Uh, and then others in the NFL followed suit and a few other uh, athletes in other leagues did something in their own way to draw uh, attention to that. And others feel like, you know what, you can have your opinions about some social injustice and things that are going on, and you can voice your opinion uh, and and share your, your thoughts and your, your attitudes towards what was going on, but you don't have to do that in a way that disrespects the national anthem or the flag. And so, uh, and I, I get where Drew Brees is coming from. I also get where Colin Kaepernick is coming from. What... Um, what I think that people are losing sight of in a lot of all of this is that 
people are taking one sliver of of the pie and a very small slice and focusing on on those those things um and unfortunately that's what's happening with a lot of the riots too um people are focusing on some of the the violence that's associated with it and not looking at the broader picture of why are they protesting and so i think we have to be careful we have to look at the whole picture of everything that Drew Brees has said, everything that Drew Brees is talking about, things that he has done in his community, and uh, but he, you know, at the same time, I think Drew Brees needs to be careful about when he's saying what he is saying. It's just the timing of it just seemed this this doesn't seem uh, right because nobody right now is talking about kneeling or disrespecting the flag of the United States. Uh, so it just seems odd the, the timing of it. Uh, LeBron James uh, came out and said, "Wow, man, is it still surprising at this point?" Sure isn't. You literally still don't understand why Cap was kneeling on one knee. Has absolutely nothing to do with the disrespect of the flag and our soldiers, uh, in parentheses, men and women who keep our land free. My father-in-law was one of those uh, men who fought as well for this country. I asked him a question about it and thank him all the time for his commitment. He never found Cap peaceful protest offensive because he and I both know what is right and what's wrong is wrong. Um, so, again, that's just LeBron James. It's an athlete voicing an opinion about another athlete who was voicing his opinion. Take that for what it's worth. But um, he is not getting a lot of love from his teammates either. Um uh, his, uh, his teammate, wide receiver Michael Thomas, uh, didn't didn't really love it. It says, how can anyone watch George Floyd get murdered? And their first response when asked about it is respect the flag. Um, so it, it is a hot button issue. It continues to be. Um, and it, it will continue to be an issue that gets discussed. Um, but to Drew Brees, uh, some additional comments that he made. Says there is a saying in every locker room I have been in: "Don't just talk about it, be about it. Acknowledge a problem and accept the fact that we all have the responsibility to make it better." Your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And then also on social media, he shared: "No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love." So. Again, I think we need to be mindful of everything that Drew Brees is talking about. Yes, maybe the timing of that one comment isn't the best, but to um, to to throw everything in together can be um, a little disingenuous. So anyway, that's uh, some of the hot button issues going on today as, as more people reacting to the events of, of uh, the last week. Starting in uh, Minneapolis. All right, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, we're going to get into what's going on in the NBA and Major League Baseball. We know that there have been competing interests between the players and the owners about what a baseball season should and ought to look like and what the players, how they get compensated in the midst of that. They've had very differing views based on what they've put out there. Can they now somehow meet in the middle or compromise uh, to some degree to at least salvage some semblance of a season that's still 
is unclear. And then we'll look at the NBA as more details uh, are being revealed there with their resumption of play. Playing in Orlando, the 22 teams are going to participate. Which? How did they select those teams? And what will that format look like once they start playing again before the playoffs start to take place? So more of those details have been revealed. We'll get into that coming up next right here on the Full Court Press. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson here on the Full Court Press. Uh, once again, if you missed it earlier on in the hour, a great conversation with Jimmy Moore, former Utah State basketball player, former assistant coach, former administrator at USU, uh, has put together a book, Basketball and Some of Life's Technical Fouls. It's not that long. It's kind of a shorter read, but some really interesting lessons in there and stories along the way uh, from from uh, Jimmy Moore coming to Utah State, how basketball opened up different opportunities for him and um, and, and different things that he's been able to do in his life outside of basketball. So definitely worth the read. Uh, news today out of Major League Baseball, uh, we know that the owners put together a, a proposal last week that suggested players would have a, a prorated salary. We'd have an 82-game regular season. Opening day would be June 30th, and the and the the regular season would end on October 31st. Um, the Players Association came together and said, well, you're concerned about the number of games played and how that affects our salary, so how about we do 114 games, but no salary cuts? Well, today, apparently, Major League Baseball has rejected that offer, uh, and uh, according to sources c- confirmed by ESPN, Major League Baseball does not plan to make a counter proposal. Uh, there was some insinuation that they might uh, float a 50 game season. And then there's other suggestions that if they're going to do that, that it'd be more expensive to play those games and to just not have a season altogether. Um, and uh, apparently Major League Baseball has is, is, is told the union that it has no interest in extending the season into November when a potential second wave could start to happen and disrupt the postseason. And there's a lot of revenue that comes from the postseason. And so they're concerned about extending the season too far. But regular season ending October 31st, that's about five weeks after when it normally would have concluded. Um but uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to f- come to terms? Can they figure something out? Can they work uh, somewhere into the middle? Major League Baseball has a great opportunity here to get games going before anybody else and recapture th- the summer. Problem is, they're going to have competing interests this summer that they don't normally have to contend with. NHL is going to be having their playoffs through the summer. NBA is going to have a little bit of a season and their playoffs through the summer. So the summer will not be owned by Major League Baseball. It may not happen at all if this continues. 
That could be really a, a big problem for Major League Baseball, not just for the problems for this year, but it could set them back significantly for a few years if they can't get something figured out. Um, a couple of players apparently say that they want to play more games, not fewer games. They want more baseball. Uh, can they work something out where they play more double headers? Uh, can they work something out that look? This is a one-year thing. We get it. It's all weird. It's unique circumstances. We have to figure something out that we're all taking pay cuts here. We're all going to have to take a haircut to make this work. Because um, if they don't, then it's going to be even worse. So hopefully something gets figured out here soon, because they're going to need time for players to get back to their to their team sites. Uh, they're probably going to need to be self-quarantined for a little while, uncertainty about where they've been. Uh, then they're going to have to have some kind of a mini camp to get themselves in playing shape and ready to go. Um, and then uh, and then you can start to resume play again. But if they want to shoot for a July 4th start, they're certainly not making it easy for themselves. All right, coming up next here in the Full Court Press, the NBA is making progress. And the more details are emerging about what their resumption of play could look at, could look like, with 22 teams being invited. So how do they determine which non-playoff teams participate in this? And how do they determine um, what happens if uh, they're still, it's still kind of close? And uh, what teams, what games are on your, what teams do you play while you're part of this? I think there's some more details about that that still need to come forward, but Adrian Wojnarowski reporting on some details that are coming to light and are expected to be voted on tomorrow. We'll get into that coming up next right here on the Full Court Press. Talking the sports you care about. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Hey, by the way, just some additional details about Major League Baseball uh, competing proposals that are out there. So Major League Baseball, the, the owners, their proposal of last week, early last week, uh, suggested that there would be lower salaries. from uh, Normally, the, the salaries, if it's a normal season, account for about $4 billion. And their proposal last week would would be to drop that down to about 1.2 billion. So it, the if you're at the minimum amount, which is about half a million dollars, you'd get about 47 percent of your original salary. There's kind of a sliding scale here, but if you're at the top, like if you're Mike Trout, Garrett Cole with those mega contracts, uh, they would end up receiving less than 23 percent. Um, the union, the players' association, they didn't like that. They say that we've already agreed to a pay cut. Now you want to do an additional pay cut. Their offer would have salaries total at about $2.8 billion, And each player would have about 70% of his original salary. But from the owner's perspective, we're having games. I still have to pay you a salary, but I can't let fans into the arena. I can't sell tickets. I can't sell concessions. I can't sell these in-game sponsorships quite at the same level. It, it's there has to be some some give there. Maybe there's some hope that at some point in the season fans could come 
and maybe that changes the uh, the, the the dynamic of this. But I don't know. It's it's tricky. Hopefully, they can get something figured out where they can agree to to make something work so that it's not catastrophic for Major League Baseball. As far as the NBA is concerned, uh, there is movement there, as we've talked about. Um, it looks like they're moving to. They're going to have these 22 teams. You've got the 16 teams that are already in the top eight of each conference, and then six additional teams. But why? Why did they settle on that? Like the NHL is having 24 teams participate. So why does the NBA come to 22? How do they get to that number? So who gets in? Who gets left out when it comes to this idea, uh, this new format that they're doing? to invite teams to still resume the season and get to the playoffs. Adrian Wojnarowski. The 22-team format was ultimately the most compelling. Certainly it was more financially rewarding for teams and players than only bringing back the 16 teams, but the ability here for teams to play themselves into the postseason uh, was a big part of this. Okay, so uh, that's the... the t- we know that there, Now we know that there's 22 teams. Again, how were those... Teams decided uh, and determined who was going to participate because some teams wanted to still be able to play. They haven't played since March, and they may not play again till Christmas. So how were some of these teams decided to still stay in and, and those left back? The league essentially went with teams that were within six games in the standings of the eighth seed. Five of those teams were in the West. New Orleans, Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento and the San Antonio Spurs, and then in the East, only the Washington Wizards. And now you have you know, a tournament environment, potentially, where Zion Williamson and New Orleans could get into the postseason. Portland with Damian Lillard uh, and C.J. McCollum, and perhaps a healthy Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins. Those teams will come back stronger. That is a big question about some of these players that have not really been there all season. Now, according to when they had their surgeries or when they got you know, the, 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 their procedures done, we're getting into that window where these guys were projected to be back to resume activities. You just heard of the list there in Portland. It could be the same thing in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, possibility that those guys could be a part of their teams when these resumption of play starts happening. So... Uh, what is not clear, Ajay, is that we know that the teams are going to be participating. What we don't know is, okay, they're all going to play about eight games each, but what games? Do, what teams do they play? Like the Utah Jazz, what games will they play? Will they end up playing those lesser teams, or are they going to have to play the top tier, or is it a mixture of all of the above? Because the, the, the schedules will not be even. I will guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. So how that's what's still not yet known is how the NBA will determine what does your schedule look like? And Sacramento, what does your schedule look like? And Milwaukee, what does your schedule look like? Is there a way, and I think you might have just answered this already, but is there a way that they could favor because some of those teams who are on the fringe of being in that eight seed, is there a chance that they could get favored in a few games, like maybe in the way they schedule them, that might probably screw over a couple other teams who are like in sixth and seventh spot. And if they go on like a four game losing streak, who knows? Like, and that's the kind of the other question is if another team gets favored, there's going to be some like, 
all heck's going to break loose. Yeah, and in fact, Adrian Wojnarowski does talk a little bit about the format, and there's some degree of a play-in type situation to determine who is in and who is out when you look at the, the close race in that 8-9 spot, or especially in the West, 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, that there's some kind of a play-in aspect that might be in there. And it, there is some weighted, um, what's the right, say, right way to say it, kind of a weighted advantage to those teams that already played into those that eighth spot mm-hmm. to help them preserve that spot. 22 team returned to play uh, in Orlando beginning on July 31st. 13 teams from the Western Conference, nine from the East, and a potential play-in tournament uh, that would include the eight and nine seeds um, uh, in each conference. Every team, I'm told, is going to play eight regular season games in Orlando, and then if there are team, if there is a ninth seed within four games of the eighth seed, they'll play essentially a single elimination tournament for the ninth seed, a double elimination tournament for the eighth seed to give them more an advantage to hold on to that lead. So I'm encouraged to hear that. Me too. Me too. It's single elimination versus double elimination. There there should be some value given to what you did for the vast majority of the regular season. Of the regular season, yep. And not let some weird wrinkle that's developed here cause you to lose your position. So I'm encouraged by that. What's still to be determined is... What will those eight games look like for the Utah Jazz? Yeah, exactly. But isn't it nice to know that we are going to get just basketball back July 30th? Like we all have something to look forward to. The other thing to kind of look at is when uh, we saw on Twitter, I believe, Keith Smith came out and he was asked, what are the times of the games going to look like? And he's saying 10 a.m. Mountain Time till 10 p.m. Mountain Time. You're going to see games throughout you know, the time until, we, until October 12th or I guess until the playoffs start. But 10 a.m. in the morning, you might see the Jazz be playing in a game in Florida, which is really weird for us as Jazz fans, but that's what you might be looking at here uh, coming up shortly. But it's just great to know that the basketball has got their stuff together. Baseball, are you listening? That they've got their stuff together in communication, both owners and players, both owners and players and league themselves, and that they've put together an idea where they can still accomplish their goal of having an NBA championship at the end of the season. Right, there's 22 teams, and they're all going to play eight games. That's 176 games that will need to be played. When would the playoffs start then? So the eight games, right? Do we know yet when the playoffs would start in Orlando? Uh, I don't quite remember that. Um, okay, but it would be the the season would extend into October. Yeah, October 12th, right? Would be Game Seven, right? And, and if the, so, if there's a Game Seven, October 12th. I think we talked about this yesterday, but you really are like a hard day looking at December 25th as the opening day. And that's what is interesting to look at. If uh, when the season ends in October, if it does go seven games, we're into middle of October and they're going to really start on Christmas Day. That's a very short off season. Yes, the start of next season, you know, essentially uh, probably no later than Christmas Day. And, you know, the league's not going to want to lose uh, the impact of having those December 25th games. And it leaves you a very tight window, uh, especially for the teams that advance to the finals uh, from the end of one season to the start of the next. And, you know, you would have to believe 
that if you're going to play games on Christmas Day, you've got to be starting training camp right around Thanksgiving, and free agency essentially would start until November 1st, maybe October 30th or 31st in that time frame after the draft. Be a very, very tight window, very short offseason no for the NBA kidding. to re- restructure your team. So, if and you have so to. if Frangie starts in November, boy, it's, gonna be, it's still going to be a pretty semi quick turnaround, really, for basketball. Still a lot of questions. For those teams that don't get to participate, do they get some kind of a summer league? Do they get some opportunity to still play and develop their young guys? So it's, it's, well, there is some movement, there's some momentum here happening with the NBA. There's still a lot of questions that still need to be answered, but they're much farther along than Major League Baseball is, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, baseball. Get it together. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight, everybody. Have a great night. And again, a special thanks to Jimmy Moore for coming down and joining us. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. The NBA will reportedly start its season on July 31st. And if there is a Game 7 of the NBA Finals, it would be played October 12th. According to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, 22 teams will be invited to Orlando, giving six extra teams a shot at the postseason. The timing is interesting. The NBA is about a week behind the NHL. We've seen that the few live sports options have had great ratings during the pandemic, and it could be a banner August for both leagues. But then they run right into the football season. That means there will be a ton of competition for eyeballs and headlines. Football has been dominant, and I wouldn't expect that to change. The NBA and NHL will have to own the weekdays, except for Monday and Thursday. Or maybe the appetite for sports will be higher than ever, and the pie will be big enough. As for us fans, NFL, college football, NFL, NHL, maybe baseball, all at once. All I can say is, I'm ready. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.